3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855am. Good morning, Leela. Good morning, Priya. How are you doing today? Well, the thought I'm having right now is that capitalism really triggers uh, IBS. <laughs> yes, it truly does. I feel like so many chronic health conditions um, are either, you know, find their genesis or uh, are extremely exacerbated by the pressures of living in a capitalist society. Um, and then, you know, uh, that's all compounded by capitalism's impacts on medical care. So. This is true. Yeah. I wish I could go to the doctor and get an anti-capitalist prescription. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the prescription uh, is unfortunately the only thing that can be done is full-scale revolution. Um, but for that, we need a critical mass of people on our side. Um, so what do we have on for today? So first up, um, I am excited to introduce Saw Lewin U who currently serves as the president for the Australian Karen Organisation, or AKO. AKO was established in 1996 and seeks to serve the social and political concerns of the Karen community in Australia. Today, Saw Lewin U joins us to discuss their work for AKO, recent events in Myanmar and the demands of the Myanmar community in response to inaction from the Australian government, following the re-imposition of the military junta in February last year. Yeah, really important, and I think something that we've been hoping to cover on Thursday breakfast for a little while, but we weren't quite sure how to do it, and I understand that there was recently a demonstration uh, in NARM around that. Um, so after that, we're going to hear a two-part conversation between Bundalini Robbie Thorpe and his nephew Alistair talking treaty, uh, catching up on the treaty process in Victoria and some of its issues. And this aired yesterday morning as part of Bundle's Fire on 3CR. And you can listen back to the full 50-minute discussion by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash fire first. Now, remember that audio for Fire First will be up until the next show. So it'll be available on demand until next Wednesday, the 2nd of, uh, sorry, the 2nd of November. And you can tune into Bundles Fire 11 a.m. Wednesdays on 3CR for some excellent conversations um, with Bundalini covering some really important issues around First Nations sovereignty um, and around this uh, colonial, carceral, uh, unjust settler state. Um, and then finally... We're going to be joined by Stephen Caruana, who is coordinator of the Australia OPCAT network. And Stephen joins us to discuss some serious concerns about Australia's breach of its obligations as a party to the United Nations Optional Protocol to the Convention Against Torture. The Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture, or SPT, visited Australia earlier this month, but it was forced to suspend its visit early due to a lack of cooperation and obstructions to carrying out its mandate, noting particular difficulties with the Queensland and New South Wales state governments. So uh, listeners, regular listeners might be 
uh, might remember that we spoke with the Australian Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay a few weeks ago uh, in the lead up to this visit, and there was. Um, you know, a lot of anticipation about what would happen when the SPT visited. So it is um, quite alarming that uh, they've decided to suspend their visit because of uh, the level of non-compliance with the United Nations calling this a clear breach of Australia's obligations um, as a party to OPCAT. So that's what we've got coming up for you today, some really important discussions. Uh, we might head to a community service announcement before we jump into news headlines. Hi, my name is Bundalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 10th of November, Arnie Almathorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manmaro, 6 to 8pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyondthebars. are the news headlines for Thursday the 27th of October. Listeners, please be advised the following headline contains mention of First Nations people who have died. The death of 15-year-old Noongar boy Cassius Turvey is being mourned across the country. Today marks two weeks from the date of a violent attack on the 15-year-old boy by a group of adult men in Manjimup, Midland on October 13th. Cassius Turvey spent five days in hospital after suffering serious head injuries and was released only to be admitted eight hours later due to a seizure. Cassius died in hospital on Sunday the 23rd of October as a result of his injuries. One of his alleged attackers, Jack Brearley, was initially charged with unlawful wounding but has subsequently had this charge upgraded to murder after appearing in front of the magistrate's court on Monday. It is believed that four men in a black ute were also involved in the vigilante-style attack. Cassius Turvey's death follows a lineage of racialized violence aimed at young First Nations people. A series of vigils for Cassius will be held across the country in coming weeks, with the first held at Midland Oval in Perth on October 31st. The vigil coincides with Halloween, Cassius' favourite holiday, and it is recommended that folks attend Stylin' Up in your best Halloween costume. Rallies are scheduled next week on Wednesday the 2nd of November in Perth, Geraldton, Sydney and Adelaide. In other news, Medibank has revealed that a cyber attack that hacked customer data earlier this month is worse than originally thought. 
After an investor update on Tuesday, the 25th of October, it's been reported that this escalating incident may have affected up to 4 million Australians. Date of birth, address, Medicare card numbers and health claim leaks are the most concerning for potential identity theft and extortion attempts. The Medibank hack is the second high-profile attack to hit in two months, with Optus also suffering a significant data breach in September. The Albanese government is set to introduce new legislation this week that substantially increases penalties for companies that don't properly protect sensitive data. Digital Rights Watch has stated that increased penalties are a welcome first step, but the best way to reduce the harm caused by data breaches is not to collect and store the data in the first place. The Privacy Act is being reviewed later this year. Also in news headlines... Treasurer Jim Chalmers says spending restraint in the face of inflation is the name of the game for the Albanese government's first budget. The government has continued to waste billions on harmful and ineffective employment services while refusing to raise income support payments. Millions of people on poverty payments and those who need help but can't even get it have been left behind by Albanese and Chalmers. The Anti-Poverty Centre reports that people on unemployment payments for longer than four years are twice as likely to die by suicide. The choices in this budget will cause the most harm to people in poverty who already face the greatest intersectional disadvantage. And finally, in headlines for this week, and listeners, please be advised that the following headline does refer to an Aboriginal person who has died and contains some distressing content. Updates from the coronial inquest into the death of Walpuri man Kumanjai Walker in 2019 show a horrific video of the moment that Kumanjai Walker's family members were informed of his death. The morning after Mr. Walker was shot by Constable Zachary Rolfe, police visited his family in Yundamu to inform them Mr. Walker had passed away and that his body had been taken to Alice Springs. The ABC reports that the video shows police urging emotional loved ones not to get, quote, angry, end quote, and calling the deceased by the wrong name. Sergeant Meacham King told the family, quote, with what happened last night, poor Aaron has passed away, end quote. Mr. Walker's legal name, which for cultural reasons can't be used after his death, was not Aaron. Constable Zachary Rolfe, who shot Mr. Walker in November 2019, was acquitted of all charges earlier this year. You can follow the Dajua Foundation for updates by heading to Dajua Foundation on Twitter and also on Instagram. And I believe on Twitter is where they provide a recap of every day of the coronial inquest. So you can see uh, the proceedings happening live. And it has been pretty shameful to see fairly little mainstream media coverage of the coronial inquest as it progresses. These have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 27th of October, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. 
Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Naro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Come and at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. Panoply, Panorama... Panpipe? Pansy? Aha! Pansexual! Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR, 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Good morning, Solwen U. Thank you so much for joining us today on Thursday Breakfast. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you. I was wondering if you could please start by telling us a bit more about the Australian Karen Organisation, or AKO, and your role as president. Okay, uh, thank you, Lily. Um, since 1996, the working group of the AKO has aimed to represent the Karen ethnic group in all forums, both at the national and the international level in order to achieve equality, peace, freedom, justice, and human rights for current people in Myanmar and also living abroad. AKO has since established its branches in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, WA, and ACT, and has also facilitated to successful settlement of those thousands of Karen, including that of the special humanitarian offshore programs. 
I have served as the national president of AQO since 2014 and in other executive roles prior to that. In this role, I view the situation and politics of Karen and other people of Myanmar as ongoing matter which requires serious attention to bring about justice, ethnic equality, and self-determination. As the national president, I strive to raise global awareness of the current state of affairs, especially as to the current humanitarian crisis of internally displaced people and refugees. Thank you. Thank you for that, um, So Luen U. It sounds like you have been doing some very important organising um, at AKO for a long time, and it's an ongoing and urgent issue. So it's good to be aware of it. Next up, could you provide some insight into the history of Karen people's challenges within Myanmar? Thank you. The history of the Karen revolution and politics date back to 1949, about a year after Obama independence had been granted by the by then British colonial administration. The current peacefully called for recognition of our own state, but were met with brutal persecution by the Obama army, which came into power through hostile take over. This has resulted in the war's biggest ongoing civil war to date, with countless innocent lives lost, homes destroyed, and the forced relocation and internally displacement of many current people. Yeah, so this history goes on for quite a while, this history of conflict. And Recently, um, there's been an escalation in the situation in Myanmar. Could you tell us a bit more about what has been happening in Myanmar recently? Yes. Uh, since the military coup d'etat on the 1st February 2021, after the landslide victory of the National League for Democracy Party and the 2020 election, the Myanmar country has been uh, completely disordered, and this is still is the case. Recently, and across Burma, the coup has resulted in 2,400 brutal killing of civilians, 300 of whom are minors, and 15,000 arbitrarily arrests, 1,500 persons, charged and detained, 126 penny of death sentences, four execution of human rights activists, 1.3 million or over refugees, and also 1.2 million internally displaced people within Myanmar. This week, just this week, just four days ago, military airstrike has targeted the Kachin state, having a land of 
having a lot of celebration onto the take place for 62 anniversary of the founding of the Kachin Independent Organization, KIO. And a total of 80 people were killed and over 100 people were wounded. And the military further created a roadblock which prevented the wounded people from the seeking urgent medical treatment. This adds to the evidence of the war crime and crime against humanity being committed by the Myanmar military junta. So, Lewin Oo, this is a truly horrifying um, situation and it describes a real ongoing crisis that we should be paying attention to here in Australia. In light of this, could you outline the demands from the Myanmar community to the Australian government? Yes, uh, yeah, we current uh, Australian government which is the Labour government, they are in mm. power for 130 years, 130 days long today. Mm-hmm. I would like to simply request the the collective community of the people of Myanmar would like to urge Australian government to refer the crisis in Myanmar to the International Criminal Court to increase the refugee humanitarian visa intake for Myanmar nationals to impose a comprehensive global arm embargo against the military junta to impose targeted targeted economic sanctions and travel bans for Myanmar military junta, its affiliations of association and also the military control conglomerate and state-owned enterprises to allocate humanitarian assistance to the area of Myanmar, which are in Dao's humanitarian crisis and the rights. These are all really fair claims that I think would have a huge impact if they were enacted. Um, so aside from the Australian government, how can our listeners support these demands and help amplify the voices of the Myanmar community? Yeah. Um, the, we are busy because of we are looking for the peace and justice mm. for the people of Myanmar. I think we... We would like to uh, we would like to request Australian um, community join the movement which accept the is called accept national unity government and reject the military junta mm. and promoting the recognition of the national unity government as the legitimate government of Myanmar. And based on the principle of the human rights, democracy, and its rule of law, we are now living in a war which is consumed by the special media. And listening can show their support and by raising awareness of our collective 
demands by speaking out and sharing information about the current situation in Myanmar. We plan to have another Australia-wide peaceful protest rally next month at the Parliament House in Canberra and welcome all the support in person or in or by circulating information online. November is a crucial month of the people of Myanmar as we await the reaccreditation of the Ambassador Ujo Motong as the duly appointed representative of Myanmar in United Nations General Assembly. Or if you have more informa- if you want more information, please contact the National Unity Government Representative Office and the Commonwealth of Australia located in the Camera ACT. Thank you very much. Thank you so much and we'll make sure to include that link in our show notes today when we post the podcast. Solowen or you have um, articulated some really important points so clearly and concisely today. So I thank you for sharing your knowledge. I hope you have a great morning. Thank you, Lila. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Solowen U who uh, joined us this morning to speak about recent events in Myanmar and demands of the Myanmar community in response to inaction from the Australian government following the re-imposition of the military junta in February last year. And Solwin U currently serves as president of the Australian Koran Organization, or AKO. And as Leela said before, you'll be able to find further information uh, about uh, how to support and uh, keep up to date with um, the demands that, uh, you know, the Karen people and also other members of the Myanmar diaspora are making in solidarity with people back home uh, by heading to our show notes after this show. Uh, we might head into a track now. So um, I guess in honor of the ongoing fight for black lives in this country against colonial violence and injustice and in solidarity with the family of young Cassius Turvey. Um, this is Black Lives Matter by Birds. Hickey next to could be our side. No, we say black lives matter, but shit, the fact of matter is. 
that was Black Lives Matter by Birds. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. It is 7.29 in the morning. And uh, that just a little bit of a retroactive language warning for that, but I think uh, entirely appropriate given the horrific context that we're speaking into. And once again, all of our love and solidarity with the family of Cassius Turvey, um, a young Noongar man who was tragically um, killed and um, it is just it is just appalling in this long lineage of um, murder with impunity of of young Aboriginal people in this colony. And now we will hear a two part conversation between Bunjalili and his nephew Alistair, talking treaty, catching up on the treaty process and its issues. This aired yesterday morning as part of the Bunjil's fire on 3CR. You can listen back to the 50-minute discussion by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash fire first. The audio will be available on demand until Wednesday, the 2nd of November. And tune in to Budgel's Fire at 11am Wednesdays on 3CR. I'll say uh, good morning to Alistair. Morning. And uh, thank you for coming in for us. Thank you. So uh, where are we standing at the moment, like? There's a lot of issues for me, um, and the rest of the country's talking about a, a voice in the parliament as like the primary thrust of things. But Victoria's gone in a different direction, do you think? Yep. Well, we've got an opportunity here. So we've probably progressed those areas in our own way from our own position. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're talking treaty now. Well, I, sh- I should introduce you probably, because, you, you know, um, you're my, my oldest brother's son. And um, we spent a lot of time together, uh, Northland Secondary College, where Kuyush, uh, well, Shakespeare's, I see you got the T-shirt on there, yeah. Fight for Survival, an incredible journey in itself, mm. would have been formative in terms of your, where you stand and what your perspectives are in, in, this, yeah. in this place. So it's really good to see you involved mm. with the Treaty Assembly. And one of the best things for me is to see the young people start to really learn about the, the true history of this country. Yeah. And that's one of, the, one of the main reasons I support the idea of a treaty assembly. I'm, I've got a few questions in regards to the, the legitimacy, the validity, and, and the, what sort of treaty it would be. Is it a, a domestic thing or is it an international one? Yeah. And that, I think that's the main point for me. The question is, you know, is it a, an international legal standard or is it a, a domestic thing? for treaty business in Victoria? Well, it's done with the state, so it's domestic, but all of those areas we talk about and what I've learned from you, Uncle Rob, over the years around sovereignty and self-determination and our rights are embedded in the process. So I think it's a powerful tool for us at this time in this political landscape to use. And and I love how you, you you talked about our history together because I learn a lot from you and your politics and, you know, in a lounge room with Nan and with my uncles and aunties and my old man. So I think really today we've got the opportunity from all of those years of um, struggle and activism and, and it's culminated in this now. And I think even talking about the national agenda, I think we forced a treaty conversation here in Victoria and it's and it's forcing that conversation again in the federal 
politics. So but we the, can't let it go. We can't let this opportunity go, and we've got to push the issue. Yes, yeah, so, you know, we've been always at the forefront, uh, Victorian Aboriginal people, in terms of struggle. We haven't fared very well, but you know, we've done the hard yards and um, suffered a lot, lost mm. a lot. Mm. Uh, I don't really see how native titles been effective for us. And, you know, and there's, there's lots of questions about these corporate entities. That, you know, I, I believe they all misrepresent us. And it can never work until, you know, there's, you know, there's proper recognition of our people. And, you know, for me, when you have a treaty, you need to end the hostilities first before you can actually sit down and talk about negotiations. So, you know, I'm just thinking that where is that in terms mm. of the process? Because there's a, a, still yeah. a lot of grief. There's still a lot of... Um, Mm. Uh, trauma for Aboriginal people is that going to be uh, in some way addressed before we sit down and talk because there's mm. issues called uh, duress and undue influence mm-hmm. and uh, many other things that uh, you know, we don't want to be arguing about the process the treaty process for mm. the next hundred years yep. and you have a look at Waitangi Treaty they're always arguing about the interpretation so mm. it's really important to get it right yeah well, I think the Europe Justice Commission, that's a very important part of this whole process, you know, and that's come out of the Assembly. We instigated that because we understood we have to do that. We have to actually resolve a lot of these issues and put the spotlight on them. And I think that's going to be a huge negotiating tool for us as we go forward in the treaty process to understand the impact of colonisation here and to to actually make the state accountable for that as well as others that are involved so I, I really think our people need to get on board and tell the story like right now the Europe Commission have opened up submission process for any Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person to submit so I think if you've got family stories you need to put them in because this is how we address it we've got to actually know what happened and then we talk about it in a treaty so, and so is it just for any Aboriginal person? And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what connection do the people from the Northern Territory have to this country? Are they mm. bloodlined back to the Territory? Is it their business, the treaty business? So why would they be involved? And why would mm. corporate bodies be involved if, you know, they don't represent sovereignty? And, and you know, they're, they're pretty serious questions for me. Mm. And... Yeah, over the years, I've seen a lot of misrepresentation in terms of the, the corporations going back to, I think it'll be about 1986, same time the Australia Act came in. Mm. It was a different, whole different law laid down on Aboriginal people at that time. So, you know, we had ATSIC, Native Title, Reconciliation, all at the same time. Yeah, and up to that point of time, it was the communities doing the fighting mm. on their own without any support of the state or anybody else. And all of a sudden, since uh, I think the writing was on the wall back then that they had to do something about the idea of Terra Nullis and mm-hmm. you know which underpinned their entire society here, those things were going to fall. So you know, they they sort of manoeuvred themselves in the position. So I'm still thinking about it. that's why there's, it's important for an international mm-hmm. uh, scrutiny at least over this process to give it credibility. Are, are they they wouldn't be keen to have that, would they? But well, that was what they demanded everywhere else in the world, like places like Ukraine and mm-hmm. any other conflict zone in the world, Australia's always got them opening their mouth, moralising about those issues, but won't do it in their own backyard. Well, I think the, this doesn't shut that down. 
the, these tools that we've got now doesn't close that door. And if there's traditional owner groups that feel they need to have that international scrutiny, I think they're well within their rights to pursue it within this process. So it might challenge the way these structures have been set up, but I don't think that um, it's not possible. So there's a monitoring part of this framework. The treaty authority has been set up to actually administer. Yeah, tell me a bit more so about that because I'm, you know, we've got a, a treaty commission, a treaty authority and a treaty assembly. It's, it's getting a bit uh, top-heavy bureaucratic for me. And, and uh, uh, average people taking these jobs or is it for professional non-Aboriginal peoples? You know, well, we're leading it. Like The bottom line is we need more people to be part of it okay. and they need to stand up and we need community people to take up these positions um, all the significant roles are Aboriginal people okay. so it's controlled by us so I don't get that wrong no. oh, it's cool, I'm please. on the assembly and I can tell you now we run that show it's the full assembly it's a collective voice and we have our ups and downs with discussion like we have an honest debate yeah, good, you know man. that's what it's about Absolutely. so there's no um, you know, that's part of... There's you know, nothing off the table. The nothing table. is off the table. and You can't do any more than that. Can you? And we've got a lot of the, the key people in the room that have been elected or nominated by their groups to actually take this forward. So I think we're in a really strong position. But we do have the Treaty Authority coming up. We need to put our people in there. We do have the Self-Determination Fund. There's going to be roles there for our people to be part of that. So... I know that like, we are creating a lot of the institutions that is going to help run this whole process, but at the end of the day, it's our people that will control that. They're our, cons- our they're, they're ours. And one of the hardest things is that convincing people, you know, that these are our and taking ownership, and, and that's our job now in the next six to eight months before the next election for the Assembly to, you know, give better understanding about these mechanisms and how we can be part of them. We've got to vote. You've got to be, you've got to contribute, you've got to participate and choose the people that we need in these positions. That's if we're looking for a solution, right? Mm. We're looking for a solution. A yeah. treaty says that's a, a peacemaking instrument. Yeah. And it creates a, you know, for me, a, a treaty would create a, a, a basis of coexistence. You know, something that you do when you first come to someone else's country. Mm. And the acknowledgement of customary law is also very much a part of that. So, you know, how do we progress it in a way that's going to be beneficial, not just Aboriginal people, but, the, you know, it's, we've got to benefit this planet. You know, I'm always mm. thinking about the welfare of the environment. At the end of the day, that's the, that's where it's at. It doesn't matter who you are. If, you, if, you, if your land's destroyed, you, mm. you're, we're all finished. So we need to protect it. And um, a treaty will do that for me. Uh, a, a treaty would acknowledge our sovereignty, basically, if we manage this the right way. And that was the first of a two-part conversation between Bunjalini and his nephew, Alistair, talking treaty, catching up on the treaty process and its issues, which aired yesterday morning as part of Bunjalini's fire on 3CR. And next up, we'll be listening to the track R.I.P. by J.K. 47, John Doe and Jarula. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. I'm going to do this for you. Yeah. I'm going to do it. 
through this for you. I've been masking the pain, had my heart led astray. Everybody and their dogs on my case, all I really need is space, cause I'm lost in my ways. Yeah, I made a mistake, had it thinking you'd be here forever. You were here, now you're gone, so all I do is mourn in the pain, it ain't getting any better. So I be at it, trying to keep my head up. Praying to God for serenity on my knees, wonder when the devil gonna let up. Try to cope, but all I think of are memories. Then I think of all the shit that you done said to me. Walking around my city fucked up, going on like I'm drinking the Hennessy heavily. Living in pain, it won't be the same. Rest in peace to all my loved ones lost. I can't believe it, mine's looking like a faucet. It ain't been easy, but I try to keep on. I'm feeling weak, but yo, I need to be strong. I need to see you, cause it's been too long. Now I got these demons, I've been trying to get them off me So I put you in a song saying R.I.P Saying R.I.P Rest in peace, Archer Rest in peace, Frog Rest in peace, A.C. Rest in peace, Denise Rest in peace, Mikey R.I.P. Nana R.I.P. Danny R.I.P. Pizzo Lost too many over the years I lost too many, so many tears I'll never say goodbye CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. We're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and you just heard the track 
RIP by JK47, John Doe, and Jarula. It is 7.45 in the morning. And now we are going to the second of the two-part conversation between Bunjalini and his nephew, Alistair, talking treaty, catching up on the treaty process and its issues. And you know, how much weight do they afford to Aboriginal people in terms of the, their law here? Shouldn't that be the, one of the first things acknowledged, the customary law? Well, one of the things we did when we... Because, you know, this has been built from the ground up by... Assembly members. A, ra- a rare occasion. Yeah. And I'd like to say it, it went through pretty much without amendment through the Parliament. So it's a powerful document that's been created by us. I think everybody needs to download it and have a look at it. It's on our website. Look at the framework. What's that called? So it's the Treaty Negotiation Framework. It just got signed off on last week. And Aboriginal law, law and cultural authority is embedded in it. Okay. It's a tool, right? It's up to us how we... We determine what that is, what it looks like for each nation. So that's indisputable okay, in this process. We'll have to get a copy of that because that's where it's, it's really right in there. Right? And okay. it's, I'll tell you right now, it's 2.7, 2.8 in the framework, and it's right up the front. And it's embedded throughout. The Treaty Authority will have to consider that and acknowledge that in the process. They're going to be the ones that will rule on that. So they've got a really important role to play, and that treaty authority will, will be all Aboriginal people. So, and we'll be appointing those into that position too, you know, in a joint process with the state. But it's all going to be determined by Aboriginal people. Well, what I've noticed is that the treaty initially came from grassroots Aboriginal people. It wasn't the, wasn't the corporations per se? And you know, and probably one of the reasons why we're calling for treaty is because of the uh, you know, how we're fared in terms of the, the, the corporate representation and how that's you know neglected our people and left and created this gap. I, you know, I, I sort of point the finger at them, and and you know this is what's happened. And so the call for treaty has come from the grassroots and not the, the organisation. I just want to throw that out there. It's it's a truth too. It's, yeah. You can see that the corporations are all of a sudden teaching themselves, oh, what's a treaty? I might go and learn about what a treaty is. Because that's, you know, it did change there and mm. at that time and it caught them off guard. And they really weren't thinking about what a treaty process would be, which is totally fundamental to me. You know, it's, it's part of law itself, mm. you know, uh, law and order. They all talk law and order. But I think um, it's, that's an important thing to remember that, that this came from the community. Mm. So how did they access or be a part of this process in a, in a real way when it's, you know, it's all the business is done in the organisations and they've got control of the resources and, mm. you know, I'm just thinking uh, that we should have places to do ceremony in our mm. own country, yep. particularly around this this issue, treaty. You know, like we could have a, a place for Bunjil, we could have a place for Boran, mm-hmm. Wirren, Wanjul, all these places, we all identify under those sort of in a way. It's mm-hmm. a structure there already. So we had a place for healing and um, ceremony where we could do this business in our own realm, mm-hmm. under our own law. Mm-hmm. And it, it needs to be a, a precursor to anything else because otherwise we, haven't got, we aren't able to meet and participate in a way that we would want to, if you know what I mean. Am mm. I making sense there? Yeah, yep. So is there any chance that we can get a bit of uh, land for ceremony straight up so we can actually create these sites 
this is where the, the treaty under Bunjil happened and the, the mm. embryonics of that happened. It's a space that we could control. We could have our fire. We could have our elders sitting. Mm-hmm. And it's um, how our law worked and, and, and how our law sits in with this other part, what's happened now, mm-hmm. and how we can come to a, an agreement. And I think that's where a treaty should be signed at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it, around that fire. Yeah, I think there's definitely things we can push to say, is the state acting in good faith? Um, do you, are you going to be real about this? What's, what's really on the table? So there are definitely things that we can actually call for and um, talk about and discuss. But going back to the point about the treaty conversation where it shifted, it definitely was a push by the community. And I think it shows you the power of our people when we speak and when we actually participate and we, we can change a process if it needs to change. So this is why with this conversation change the treaty, now we need to understand the opportunity we've got yeah. to grab it. It's sort of, um, it's, I don't know how to describe it, it's just freaky that we're in this situation today. It's a real you know, one. The world's you know? talking about war <laughs> and poor old black fellow Australia we're talking about peace. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> you know, we're at war the whole time and now mm. the world's gone that way and we're, well, we're talking about a peace arrangement and I, I think that we know what we're talking about when we talk about peace. Right? We've got an incredible uh, history and experience, our people, and we know all these things. We've been through those processes. Mm. So it's, I think it's really important that we're talking about the, pre- the, tr- the peace process right mm. now, and I think the whole world can take a leaf out of our book. If anyone suffered, mm. and we've suffered, and we've lost a lot, but we've still, mm. we've still got that um, deadliness about us mm. and love. <laughs> Well, it's a hundred-year conversation, eh? Really, treaty. It's not. Well, how long, Batman? Yeah. So you know, it's taken this long for us to even get it to this point in one state. So against uh, all odds, too. It wasn't the. uh, It wasn't where the we're all flowing. We're going going down the corporation road. Yeah. And um, yet, it's come back to the treaty. Um, I reckon it also opportunity there. It highlights the actual limitations of native title and and the failure of that to deliver any outcomes, right? So even though we've got these groups that have been, you know, established, which is really important, we need to have those things to help give us a base. But now the agenda's changed because obviously those things didn't address all the injustice and they were limited and, and it was designed that way. It changed, you know, we know that. We know the political history of native title. So now with a treaty conversation, everything's back on the table. Yeah, right? I agree. Everything yeah. is on the table. It's, it's actually in here in the framework that there's no limits. So if you're part of a traditional owner group, you need to actually start mobilising your family and, and get involved and start changing the conversations in those groups and, and actually help determine what our future is and what do we want to put on the table. What do we want to negotiate about in our regions? Well, I, I think there's some things that are non-negotiable, like our sovereignty and you know, the need for a war crimes trial. I think they, they, you don't have to have everything negotiable, right? Yeah. So these things just sit over here. We're going to talk about a peace process, how we can accommodate everyone in this country in a reasonable, rational, responsible way, as we do. You know, and... Um, I think we've got the answers for all this. We've been very patient and um, 
resilient and um, such a beautiful people. My, I always want to pay my respects to all my people and, and, and their, what they've been able to do. I just, I'm always so very impressed. Wherever they are, whether it's this state or any other state, I'm just, I've got so much respect for my people and their, and their, their toughness and their beauty as well. So, yeah, so we owe it to our ancestors who never had a chance. And, and um, we owe it to our children's children. We'll give them something in the future. That's what this treaty means to me. And if we can pull this off, it'll be a miracle. You know, I, I believe in miracles. Like, <laughs> I've got my scammer. Well, that's one of the reasons why I signed up, is to, I wanted to contribute to this. I, you know, I've been schooled by a pretty strong family and by, I've, I know exactly who I am, my identity and, and what we're fighting for. So, I've seen an opportunity here to actually, you know, contribute and, and try and shape it. And I really feel like we've got some amazing tools now to use, but now we've got to pick them up and use them. So that's probably the next step is getting everybody together. And, you know, because we all know about the divide and conquer. Like, that's an old tactic. And I think we can sometimes we fall into that because of the trauma that we've been under and the stresses and the fighting that we've always had to do our activism, you know, and then sometimes you see an opportunity that feels doesn't feel real. So I think we've really got to come together. Um, we need to do more work as an assembly to bring people together I was just going to say and that. a yarn about this. Well, so, it's the communication factor, and, and it's the voice we're talking about. Yeah. We, we need a voice that comes out of the treaty, an actual media operation, right? It's the communicator. You know, we've done it right. We've done the truth, the treaty, then the voice. Well, that's the way it should work. And then if we've got a voice, we can educate people. Yeah, and the state's not mm. interested to educate. All the institutions at the universities, yeah, they've been sitting on all this incredible information. They've never shared it. They've never educated all these racists out here. They deliberately did that. And if people knew how incredibly intelligent and amazing our people know what was racism, and this, mm. the education system's got to play a role there, yeah, there's got to be guarantees that... I even think that out of the treaty process, they should make Holocaust denial a crime in Australia. And uh, if you're a racist, we're not going to tolerate that either. And, and you know, there's these sporting clubs like AFL, our game, mm. our ground. All they need to do is put a, a word, say, no, racism won't be tolerated in this stadium. That would that would just about effectively do the job. Mm. That's all it needs. Mm. We don't tolerate racism. It's just part of the law. And, we, and you know, if, if this was... um. Germany, you wouldn't be allowed to deny the Holocaust. So we've got to establish the fact that there's been a Holocaust here. And, I, and it's pretty clear to me that there has been. You know, yeah. Where are our people? Yeah. Where are all them massacres? What this talk about a peaceful settlement? Mm. Anyway, that's, yeah. we, we straighten it out. That's the way we do. You know, we, we're lawful people. We're about law and order. And um, you know, our, our long, long liberty of a people testifies that we're... we're an organised, socially organised society with capability of surviving through whatever. It's so uh, unreal that we're in this situation. I'm very happy to see all your young fuckers uh, taken on and it's a great option. I wish I was there when I was younger. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. That was the second of a two-part conversation between Bunjalini and his nephew Alistair talking treaty catching up with the treaty process and its issues. You can listen back to the full 50-minute discussion by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash 
Fire First, F I R E F I R S T. The audio will be available on demand until next Wednesday, 2nd of November. Tune into Bunjil's Fire, 11 a.m., Wednesdays on 3CR. And we're going to head into another track now before we head into our next interview. This is Come Back by Barker and Mikasa. Started looking in the mirror, face my own demons. Had every right to be mad, I had my own reasons. But to take it out on family was a bad feeling. I just wanna pay back my mob with what I was gifted. I just wanna be a good mummy, build my babies a home. Put a crown on my mama and I'll build her a throne. You can't talk about my past, cause them days dead and gone. And if you go and bring it up, you must have hate in your soul. And that's true, I just wanna bring it back for a minute. And thank my sister and my mama for my children. Cause I was trapped in addiction and in prison But they gave me the tools so I could live a little different Thank my matriarchy and thank my babies for me I must be a good woman if I birth them seeds And to be a better woman I must follow my dreams And give back to everybody who done gave to me It's a full circle, what goes around comes around Yeah I was lost at the start but my soul got found And I just wanna be here and make my whole family proud Do everything in my power to make them all smile now I'm receiving it, made it all real cause I was sick and tired of dreaming it And this life here's a gift, I'm gonna keep on succeeding it I had to get it up and mud and make it better Grab my babies by their hands and we gon' do this together Got these tears in my eyes while I write them love letters And I know I'm not perfect but I'm never gonna give up I gotta plant them seeds and tell the truth how it is I gotta stand up strong and be a mum to my kids I gotta come back strong and go and face some fears Cause I was sick and tired of hating on myself all them years I am powerful I don't even know the half of it, but I'm whole within my being and I am no longer masking it. Every time I fall, I now look at the stars, cause dreams are for real, I never lose that spark. And that was Comeback by Barka and Makesha. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And now we are going to an interview with Stephen Caruana, who is the coordinator of the Australia Opcat Network and who joins us to talk about some serious concerns about Australia's breach of its obligations as a party to uh, sorry, a party to the United Nations optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture. Now, the Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture, or SBT, visited Australia earlier this month, but was forced to suspend its visit early due to a lack of cooperation um, from, yeah, from particularly the Queensland and New South Wales state governments, citing uh, obstructions to carrying out its mandate. So some serious concerns there, and I'm really glad that we have Stephen with us to talk about this. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Priya. 
So before we get into the outcome of the Subcommittee on Prevention of Torture, or SPT's visit to Australia, could you briefly recap what the SPT delegation aimed to investigate during its visit? Uh, well, the SPT visit served two purposes. So first of all, they were here to assist Australia with the implementation of our national system of oversight mechanisms, which is called the National Preventive Mechanism, or NPM. And that NPM is charged with undertaking proactive, preventive, human rights-focused monitoring to places of deprivation of liberty all across Australia. Um, so this undertaking, to which Australia uh, you know, requested an extension of time to, to undertake uh, from four years to five years, um, is due to commence on January 20, 2023. So they were, first of all, here to help with that implementation. The second purpose of the visit was to conduct unannounced visits to places of deprivation of liberty across the, um, across the country. Um, obviously, they were doing that in order to build a snapshot of our systemic human rights concerns and to engage with con- um, governments in constructive dialogue on how to remedy these concerns, followed by a confidential report of their findings. Um, the visit was supposed to last for 12 days in total, so obviously there's a limit on the on, on the on amount of places they could visit, but I uh, imagine they would have tried to focus on a spread of different types of institutions. Mm. So, for instance, uh, prisons, youth detention, immigration detention, aged care, and so on. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it is very concerning that on the 23rd of October, the SBT did uh, end up reporting that it decided to suspend this visit to Australia, citing significant obstructions preventing it from carrying out its mandate under OPCAT. So can you take us through some of these obstructions, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland, who were specifically named um, in concerns from the SPT, and the significance of the SPT deciding to cut its visit short? Is there a precedent for this kind of decision? Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of New South Wales, they refused to allow the SPT from entering any of their facilities. And part of the reason for that is they said that there were operational security and safety implications of having unannounced visits. Um, as one of the reasons for hindering the delegation. Now, this, of course, makes no sense at all because New South Wales' own Inspector of Custodial Services has a legislative mandate to visit um, any custodial centre at any time it feels fit. So New South Wales Corrections would obviously, therefore, um, you know, be very used to the idea of unannounced visits from independent external bodies. Um, the New South Wales Premier was also quick to defend the decision, saying that um, New South Wales had adequate oversight um, already, which was provided by its ombudsman. Now, these remarks, uh, of course, ignore the, very, the fact that that very same ombudsman has repeatedly called on the New South Wales government to fulfil its off-cat obligations. And, you know, I think it's really important to note that during the, the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the New South Wales um, uh, ombudsman said that had New South Wales already um, fulfilled its off-cat obligations, there would have been an agency with a clear responsibility to monitor the hotel quarantine situation throughout the crisis. Um, Queensland, on the other hand, their situation was not an outright refusal to cooperate. Uh, Queensland's legislation placed restrictions around the SBT's um, physical access to mental health facilities and forensic disability facilities. Um, there were, to my knowledge, um, no restrictions on other, any other place of detention within Queensland. And... Um, you know, really positive news yesterday. The Queensland Premier announced that legislation will be introduced before the end of the year to remedy this access issue. And while, as I said, it's very welcome news, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, it could have been avoided. 
Um, you know, in August this year, for example, the Queensland Attorney General remarked that Queensland um, was not going to make any formal commitments to, op- to implement OPCAT until ongoing funding uh, for its national preventive mechanism was resolved with the Commonwealth Government. So clearly Queensland had taken a firm position in opposition to its obligations until very recently. Um, whether the SBT had any access issues with other jurisdictions is, is a bit of an unknown. Mm. But what we do know from media reporting is that they were able to provo- uh, they were provided full access to Canberra's Alexander McConaughey Centre, to six custodial sites um, in Tasmania, including the Ashley Youth Detention Centre, several facilities in the Northern Territory, including the Dondell Youth Detention Centre, and they had access to all Commonwealth-run facilities that they visited. So the SVT looks at cooperation as a whole, and while their mandate was welcomed by some, if not most, jurisdictions, um, those barriers from Queensland and New South Wales in particular put them in a very difficult position. So suspending its visit is not a trivial matter. Um, the SBT has guidance, and that guidance says that um, you know a suspension can only occur when they consider the success of a mission to be in jeopardy due to non-cooperation. And in terms of precedence, um, this has only ever happened uh, three times prior, and that was in Rwanda, Ukraine, and Azerbaijan. Yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, clearly extremely concerning that the SBT has uh, had to cut its visit short and this has, you know, quite serious implications uh, for Australia's uh, compliance with its obligations as a party to OPCAT. So um, I'm wondering what the likely course of action is from here for the SBT and the implications that this might have for Australia, considering that Australia currently has a membership on the United Nations Human Rights Council. Um, well, I think, first of all, it's important that uh, we remember that Australia voluntarily pledged to ratify the OPCAT as part of its uh, campaign for a seat on the, U- the UN Human Rights Council. So we were granted that seat and held it from 2018 to 2020. And Julie Bishop, who was the Minister for Foreign Affairs at the time of ratification, she said that our ratification of OPCAT demonstrates Australia's unwavering commitment to international scrutiny and accountability. Uh, those are her words. So clearly those words seem quite hollow now um, as a result of the visit suspension. And I think should Australia want to continue and to be uh, a member of the Human Rights Council again, uh, we're going to have to have, we're going to have a very difficult time convincing other nation states to trust us with that leadership position. Um, we are, however, not in an unredeemable position. You know, the SBT has said that their visit can resume with full assurance from the Commonwealth that they won't be further hindered. The SBT will now convene in November to decide on a time frame for Australia to provide that assurance. And we will also be questioned by the Committee Against Torture, who was the one who granted Australia its OPCAT extension uh, request um, around the same time. So that committee will also want to know if, uh, about Australia's progress, uh, and they will want to know a plan from Australia on how it intends to be in full compliance. Mm, yeah, and I mean, I think this also... You know, there there are concerns around the the timeline as well, considering that there's there's already been extensions, um, and you know, as as you mentioned, this is not a good look for Australia in in the international arena as it tries to justify its membership uh, on the Human Rights Council. So the Australian Human Rights Commission has called for urgent action by the federal, state, and territory governments to fully commit to implementing a robust human rights framework 
for people held in places of detention after the SBT has made this decision to suspend its visit. Now, what are some immediate actions that can be taken to achieve compliance with our obligations under OPCAT? And I know that you've uh, mentioned that Queensland has already um, signalled some changes in this regard. Yeah, well, the Human Rights Commission released um, a roadmap to OPCAT compliance just um, around the time the delegation commenced the visit this month. And that roadmap makes five five recommendations to all Australian governments for us to meet the basic requirements um, by that deadline. Uh, the first of the recommendations is that, obviously, each state and territory needs to designate um, the organisations that will make up this national preventive mechanism network. So, for example, Western Australia has given the responsibility to its custodial inspector and ombudsman, and the ACT has given it to its ombudsman, Human Rights Commission, and uh, correctional inspector. There are still several jurisdictions that haven't made um, this very essential decision, and that includes New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. Um, the second recommendation is to ensure that these bodies have both the expertise and staffing to reflect the vulnerable cohorts that they are monitoring. Um, and this might include lived experience of disability and detention, uh, children's rights expertise, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff. Uh, the third recommendation that they made is that the Commonwealth needs to introduce overarching legislation, which gives effect to the treaty and the coordination of both the NPM network and the SPT visits. Now, clearly... Uh, that would have been very useful in avoiding this embarrassing situation had it already been in place before the visit. Uh, the fourth recommendation is to ensure that uh, we have an inclusive definition of what deprivation of liberty is. Um, you know, and this needs to be consistent with the aims of the OPCAT. Now, th- this is particularly important because um, Australia is, is at the moment only focusing on what it uh, could describe as traditional or primary places of detention, like prisons, immigration detention and youth detention. Mm. Uh, and this approach is inconsistent with the OPCAT and excludes situations where we have seen ample evidence of gross human rights uh, violations taking place, such as in uh, disability group homes and closed units in aged care facilities. So by taking an expansive approach from the get-go, it sends a clear message that those um, other or secondary facilities um, may be visited and subject to these unannounced visits as well. And the final recommendation is about funding. Um, and this is really important because this has been the real sticking point on OPCAT. So, you know, New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, Northern Territory and Tasmania have all been on the public record saying that the Commonwealth needs to provide an ongoing funding commitment to OPCAT. But, you know, I think the treaty is a joint responsibility between the Commonwealth states and territories. They've had five years to figure this out and there can't be any more delays, to be honest. Yeah, of course. And um, I think it... it Making excuses about this kind of uh, thing, you know, regardless of, of the reason that uh, excuses are put forward is, uh, you know, does raise a lot of concerns, you know, in themselves about why, uh, why it is such a worry for uh, these, these jurisdictions to have, you know, unannounced scrutiny of, of these kinds of facilities. Um, and I think, uh, you know, before we wrap up, um, I was just wondering if you wanted to potentially comment on, uh, we've just had the federal budget handed down, uh, whether there's been any measures put in there in relation to OPCAT or if there were any other issues that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the budget is another missed opportunity. So um, in terms of OPCAT, um, there, there is one commitment there, and that's um, a small amount of money to the ACT government. And that was in relation to a commitment that the previous um, 
federal government made. Um, so they offered one-off um, OPCAP funding for two years, um, and the ACT took up that offer, but none of the other states took up the offer. So it's unfortunate um, that the Commonwealth hasn't seen this as a priority in the budget. This could have been a real opportunity to, to break that, that, um, that impasse on the funding. It, it, it would have put a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of action behind the rhetoric that came out from the Attorney General recently saying that we are committed to this. Um, it's just a very unfortunate situation that they seem to have taken the same path that the, the previous government has taken and we're still at this funding deadlock. Um, you know, after five years and the visit, we still don't have a resolution, but we really need to get to one quickly. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we can't forget the fact that uh, even though there is this sort of jurisdictional buck passing, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that there are serious concerns about the human rights and liberties of people that are detained in different kinds of facilities around the country. So the faster that Australia achieves compliance with its own, you know, voluntary uh, signing of of OPCAT, uh, the better. So where can listeners find out more about Australia's obligations under OPCAT and some of the other issues that we've discussed? Uh, well, I mean, listeners can jump onto the, the OPCAT section of the Human Rights Commission's website, um, and that has a copy of the, the roadmap that I referred to and other resources, um, including you know, an implementation report that was done in 2020 and also the National OPCAT Symposium recording. Um, I'd also encourage them to visit the Commonwealth Ombudsman's website, which has an OPCAT page and links to reports and legislation. Um, and listeners can, can also read the, the article that I co-wrote uh, with um, Associate Professor Laura Grenfell, uh, which is titled, Are We Upcat Ready So Far Bare Bones?, which featured in the Alternative Law Journal, or my report of my Churchill Fellowship into Upcat Implementation, which was done in 2018. Excellent. And we'll have links to all of those in our show notes. Stephen, thank you so much for making the time this morning. Thanks for your time. And that was Stephen Caruana, coordinator of the Australia OPCAT Network, who joined us to discuss serious concerns about Australia's breach of its obligations as a party of the United Nations Optional Protocol to the Convention Against Torture. The Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture, or SPT, visited Australia earlier this month, but was forced to suspend its visit early due to a lack of cooperation and obstructions carrying out its mandate, noting particular difficulties with the Queensland and New South Wales state governments. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. I'm Sonia Hammer of PX Fano. Join me and our Pacifica family as we talk about all things Pacifica for our queer Pacifica community. From news and information to covering all the arts and culture and events of our community for our community. PX Fano, the voice of Queer Pacifica for Australia and the world, every Saturday afternoon, 1.30 to 2 o'clock, only on 3CR, 855 AM, Community Radio. Next up, we are going to a track called Diama by Ripple Effect Band from their album Wara Wara, and I was lucky enough to see them live a couple of weeks ago. It was a real honour. So, yeah, hope you'll enjoy this. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM.
Bundalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Daddy Munmaro, 6 to 8 pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. just heard Diama by Ripple Effect Band and now we are going to the track Love Too Soon by Tasman Keith. Love you while I'm living yeah. Always with a yeah. Left you in a feeling now I know you ain't committed But when I think about you up in my home I got a hope to you and baby tonight I can see us still on something new Oh, when you come through and make it tonight
Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. As you can tell, uh, we are crashing after our little morning peak. Um, you just heard Love Too Soon by Tasman Keith. And we might go through a little bit of a rundown of what we had on this show today. Yes, so you might have also heard me say, oh, my God, I'm so tired now. <laughs> it is the post-interview crash. Um, <laughs> it's but true. I was very lucky to interview So Lewin U, who currently serves as president for the Australian Karen Organisation, or AKO. Um, AKO was established in 1996 and seeks to serve the social and political concerns of the Karen community in Australia. Today, Saul Lewin U joined us to discuss their work at AKO, recent events in Myanmar, and the demands of the Myanmar community in response to inaction from the Australian government following the re-imposition of the military junta in February last year. And then you heard a two-part conversation between Bunjalini and his nephew, Alistair, talking treaty, catching up on the treaty process and its issues. This aired yesterday morning as part of, Bunj- a part of the Bunjil's Fire on 3CR. Now you can listen back to the full 50-minute discussion by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash fire first. The audio will be available on demand until next Wednesday, 2nd of November. And tune in to Bunjil's Fire at 11am Wednesdays on 3CR. And we'll also have that in our show notes. Awesome. And... Finally, we heard from Stephen Caruana, who is the coordinator of the Australia Opcat Network. And Stephen joined us to talk about some serious concerns with Australia's breach of its obligations as a party uh, to the United Nations Optional Protocol to the Convention Against Torture. And as we discussed, the subcommittee sorry, on the Prevention of Torture, or SPT, visited Australia earlier this month and was supposed to carry out um, its operations from, I believe, the 16th to the 27th, but was forced to suspend its visit early, uh, stating on the 23rd that there was a lack of cooperation and obstructions to carrying out its mandate and noting some particular difficulties with the Queensland and New South Wales state governments. So some serious concerns there. Um, that is about all we have time for today on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. Just want to say how ludicrous it is that we have uh, now apparently a British prime minister who is two times richer than the monarchy. Um, 
but yeah, sure, representation, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what's important. We need uh, we need more uh, brown faces of the capitalist colonialist class. Anyway, uh, catch us next week on Thursday morning breakfast, and uh, we'll see you then. To ECR Breakfast, we'd like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.